So as I mentioned, my name is Brian. I work at the Glendale Church of Christ about uh, 40 minutes from here. I've been there for uh, 11 years, which is pretty un unbelievable um, to me. And it's been a really wonderful experience. It's actually the church that I grew up at, uh, the home congregation. So I know what Jesus says when he says a prophet doesn't get honor in his hometown. So, uh, <laughs> uh, very, very Jesus-like, probably the most Jesus-like that, that I am. But uh, I've really enjoyed uh, working in, in that congregation, and it's been something that's given me a great, great life and then a great joy. I came to Pepperdine and did my undergrad here and then did my grad work on my MDiv uh, ACU. So I'm, I'm really proud of both, both those environments. And my first guest on this panel, I'll have you guys just do 30 second or so introduction. You can introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Jim Settlemeyer. I have changed Brian's diapers. <laughs> I'm probably the only elder in the Churches of Christ who can make that claim. Pastor. Uh, my wife and I moved to Glendale shortly after we were married, so we've been members there about uh, 37, 38 years now. Wow. And I've been a, an elder there for not quite 10 years at this point. My name is Jonathan Williams. I'm the uh, pulpit uh, minister for the North, North Oaks congregation in Santa Clarita. It's about 40 minutes. Uh, from here, uh, LA native, very LA centric, loved LA, good, bad, dirty, and awful. Um, thought I'd never be anywhere else, and even though it's only 40 minutes away, it's not LA. But it just shows that uh, when you follow God's lead, He'll take you places you wouldn't go on your own. Very happy situation, love where I am. Okay. Uh, my name is Todd Dothine. For the past 10 years, I've been in uh, ministry in churches smaller than 100, specifically two churches. One in Fresno, one in Chicago, the one in Fresno. Um, I was uh, like a lay leader. Uh, it was a church plant, and it was uh, on the move. We had church in the parks kind of stuff. And then when I went to Chicago, uh, I was uh, blessed to be a minister uh, at a phenomenal church that I think everyone in this room should visit Chicago during the summer, uh, but specifically <laughs> this church. Awesome. Yeah, so we just want to have a conversation about uh, why I believe small churches are important, why they matter so much. And there's research that's kind of interesting across the board on this. Uh, some stats will say that the average church is 58 people. Um, other stats will say that uh, around 60% of churches uh, are less than 100 people. And that might be something that you're familiar with. And I know there's probably uh, some, some church in town that you drive by and it's like, how do they have eight services? And you see that one, and you're like, wow, like, why can't we be like living stones or whatever it happens to, to be named? And in reality, ministry is often a grind. And if you don't just focus on that one church, you'll see a lot of churches in your city that look like a whole, not a whole lot is going on uh, inside there. And yet, I believe that God is still active and, and present uh, in those ministries, and it's very important that those of us in smaller congregations do ministry well. Uh, studies will say that the, a small church generally is defined as a church of under 200 people uh, because generally that church can function like a family. You know, it can function like a family. And as you get past that number, um, it gets a little bit different. And I think what is happening in, in general across the board, not just in Churches of Christ, but across denominations, is what has disappeared is the mid-sized church. Uh, the church that was, you know, 500, I mean, between 200 and 500, that seems like that is, is gone. And when you talk to Church of Christ people here and have conversations, they might say, oh, I really 
long for the 70s or the 80s, back when our church was 300, 400 people. And they will talk about those great ministry experiences that happened there. And so across the board, and not just Church of Christ, but denominationally, I think that mid-sized church is disappearing. And so what we see a lot of are churches of around 100 or less, or churches of like 500 or more. Uh, and there's often not a lot of in-between anymore. And so I think it's critical for us to understand that, first of all, it's not just churches of Christ that are struggling with this. Uh, it goes uh, beyond us. But also then to understand how can we, um, in, in small context, perhaps you're not in a small context, but if you're in a small context, how can we do a good job of following God's lead and understand that we can do uh, some really significant, uh, important work? So I asked our distinguished panel, and I'll reflect at times um, as well uh, on this throughout this conversation, but what would you guys say in, in 2019 is, is the purpose of a, a small church, a body of believers that's 200 or less? So whoever wants to take that first, go ahead. Okay. Um, sure. Just kind of philosophy thing. I, I think, uh, quote unquote, small church is the original design, just in terms of the discipleship model. Um, I do think small church is a description, it shouldn't be a designation. It shouldn't be your identity. Um, for example, um, I, have a, I have children, I have a small family. Um, and we are a small family, that is our intention. We don't intend to have, it's not our intention to have more children, we don't think we're gonna grow. Mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes the small church label is put on congregations and that becomes their identity with no intention to grow. Uh, I think all churches are supposed to have a growth plan and a growth model. Um, our congregation is a small church because of our building size. And I think that should be your physical limitation for your assembly size. Um, maximize your facility. Um, and if you go to multiple services and all that kind of stuff, that's, that's fine. But you still have to have a growth plan uh, and if your growth plan is that when we maximize our facility, we're then going to plant another congregation and keep growth going somewhere else, that should still be a part of, uh, of, of who you are. The idea that we are small in number, and so we're a small church, and we are going to remain a small church, I don't think that's the intention. Yeah. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Now, that being said, uh, I think the personalities of a smaller number church put it that way, um, you are able to have the familiarity, you are able to have the closeness, like you said, the, the familial uh, environment. I think all of that's very, very important. And, I, and like I said at the beginning, I think that is the design that you know, we often, people say that gets lost in a, a, a larger church. Um, and I think the whole dichotomy between larger and small churches uh, really shouldn't exist. I think if you have a big building, fill it up. If you have a small building, fill it up. You know, I, I think if you have a big building that seats 6,000 people, then you need to start thinking what's gonna happen when we get beyond our 6,000. If you have a small building that seats 40 people, what are we gonna do when we get beyond our 40? How are we raising up leaders? How are we structuring ourselves so that the mission can continue beyond our, our physical size? I'm sorry, I don't know how to say things in two sentences. <laughs> Todd or Jim, what would you guys say for the unique calling of a small church in our times? 
Um, well, I, I can really only speak to our situation. Um, you know, we're in Glendale, California, which is just over the hill from Hollywood. Um, we have seen, well, we always have a big transition of people through our membership because people move to Hollywood to pursue their dreams and then most of them move back to wherever they came from after a couple of years. So in some ways, I think one of our purposes at Glendale is just to serve them while they're here in the big city because they come from everywhere. And LA is a culture, you know, pretty unlike anywhere else in the country. Um, our, our uh, was it our tagline, our slogan this year we came up with is a home in LA because we, we did a little bit of vision casting this year and discovered that, that was, the concept of a place to call home was an important thing for a number of our members, especially single members who, you know, who are out here looking to get in the television and movie industry. We wanted to make it a place that they felt welcome, that they felt like they were a part of, and, and literally a place that they could call home. So I think that's been one of our big purposes at Glendale. Uh, in the time that I've been there, I don't think our attendance our regular attendance has been over 175, and what are we at now? 100, 120? About 120. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we're we're still a small church, but I, I you know, a couple of things I, I would echo off of what Jonathan said. Um, and, and doing a little bit of thinking about this, it occurred to me that you know the New Testament was not written to mega churches. The New Testament was written all those letters that Paul wrote. He wrote to small churches. And I, I did a lot of research trying to find, like, what was the size of the church back then? And, and the only attendance that they ever took was in Acts. There were 120 people in the upper room. I'm waiting for archaeologists to uncover some of those menu boards <laughs> so we can find out, like, what, what song numbers they sang and what Wednesday night service attendance was. Um, as far as I know, they haven't uncovered that yet. But, uh, you know, based on the size of people's homes back then, if you had a wealthy member, you might have an atrium that could seat 60, 70 people. So we're looking at that size congregation in the New Testament, and apparently that was the way you know the church met was in homes for the first couple of centuries after Christ. So you know we talk about understanding the background and context of Scripture. I think that a small church needs to look at those epistles and say they're writing to us. They're writing to us as small churches, and, and take that into account. Um, I agree with Jonathan, it's a lot easier. You know, the church met to, to take communion, you know, Lord's Supper. That was their primary reason for meeting, and they centered that around an actual meal. And how do you do that with 2,000 people? Um, that would be hard for us. It would, I mean, even at our size, that's a bit of a, a chore. You know, 120 people, we do it fairly regularly. But, uh, you know, that that ability, especially for church leadership, to at least know a little something about every member, I think that's really, really valuable. I can't imagine serving as a shepherd of a church of thousands, because, you know, I would just feel so out of touch with the average member, I wouldn't know what to do. I, I feel like we don't do an adequate job knowing the situation of our members as it is, even with a smaller church. So, I think I strayed off the question a oh, bit, but... Uh, yeah, uh, I think as I think about uh, what is the mission of the church for, for small churches in 2019, I, it, I start with uh, what is the mission of the church biblically, 
And it just kind of works if it's a large church or a small church. Um, and each of them have different strengths. And, uh, but, you know, as I see the mission and the purpose of the church is to be a light to the nations, a community, a, a countercultural community that has their presence um, from centered on Christ. Uh, another way the New Testament says about it, uh, the, the main metaphor of the New Testament uh, on how the New Testament authors describe the church is family. Uh, and so they, that's the easiest image for whatever it is that we are doing. It's a family centered on Christ. And, uh, and Brian knows I, when we hang out, I probably harp on this a lot, but one of the biggest problems that I see in society uh, among other sociologists is the breakdown of community. And so we are these havens, these colonies that uh, show tremendous love for one another. And we invite them to join. And so when I think about uh, my brother Walter going to Chicago soon, he's going to experience a bunch of millennials that are moving to the city just like LA, and I'm sure where you are as well, and they don't know how to form relationships. And small churches can be this colony, this haven, this safe place where they can actually have community. When we were there, it was so cool to see these millennials that I would go out with uh, during the weekdays, and then I would talk to them, and it was so clear that my reality was totally different from their reality. Not just because I was a Christian, but some of my friends were 50. You know, it, isn't it great that, like, 20-year-olds give tw other 20-year-olds advice? It's so funny. Like, like, when I'm around college students and other college students give advice to other college students, I was like, oh, and I hear them, I'm like, that's, you need someone at least. We'll go two years older. <laughs> and it's just, it's, there's a rock. Like, uh, Kathy uh, and Craig, this couple, amazing saints. If you, it, you know, we all have those couples in the churches that be like, oh, they're on our team. We ain't giving away our MVPs. But people don't, like, first recognize them as MVPs, but they're MVPs. And they just open up their homes to the millennials that are at Lakeview Church of Christ in Chicago. And they're just, they make the meal for them, you know? Which, you know, I keep going to millennials. Millennials aren't making meals, you know? They're going to Trader Joe's, they're getting their microwave uh, meals, uh, or they're going out, you know? Uh, but making a meal teaches steadiness and slowness, and more importantly, family. And so uh, I see it as uh, these havens, you know, uh, that, we can, that we can give to the cities. A little bit of an ancillary to what you said, though, but I think it's interesting. Um, one thing that's changed, uh, I think, uh, among churches of Christ, or probably among churches in general, whenever we have a new guest, and I always try to ask them, how did you find out about us? And 90, probably 98% was your website. Yeah. Uh, you know, we dropped Yellow Pages advertising years ago, even though some of the older members we're upset about that, but it's like, you know, nobody comes to us because of the Yellow Pages anymore. It's the website, and that's, that's an important marketing tool. And the second thing uh, that I ask people is, you know, what attracted you to us? And it's what Todd said, family. They said that uh, I've never felt more welcome uh, in any other church than this one. So if that's not a culture in your congregation, then that's something you uh, really need to work on, I believe. Um, it's been our culture for decades, so we kind of take it for granted. But when I when I talk to other church leaders, uh, or if I go, sometimes when I visit other congregations, and I just go, well, I wouldn't come back here. You know, nobody talked to me. 
Um, so that that whole you know welcoming people in where they're at, uh, I think is a huge part of the culture that you need to develop if you don't have it already. <clears throat> yeah, the, the, beyond that, the communal aspect and the relationships um, that can be formed, what, what would you guys say are other strengths of a, a smaller congregation? What are things that, that come to mind? I think a, a smaller congregation is able to mobilize as an entire congregation toward a specific effort. And I think uh, when we uh, look at what the church is supposed to be in terms of witness to the community, uh, in terms of the community being able to see uh, an observable group of people who are nurturing each other, uh, who are caring for each other, who are loving uh, each other, who are working together, uh, that is visible. You know, you see 70 people doing something all wearing the same t-shirt, that takes, that, that's noticeable. Now, yeah, it's impressive to see 3,000 people wearing the same t-shirt, um, but you know, they're not all gonna clean up the, the block, you, you know, the, the, the way that is. Um, and in terms of size, um, you know, we're still people and we feel funny about certain things. When everybody joins in, uh, internally, we like that. And we're, we're happy about that. You know, Jim's here, Ty's here, everybody's here. You know, uh, so-and-so's not here because they have to take the kids somewhere. We understand that. So, you know, that person's accounted for. Uh, if we have all these people and this many people show up, we're thinking about the people that didn't show up. Mm -hmm. And we're, we have a feeling about why they don't feel that they need to be a part of what's going on. And I think with a smaller number of people, we're able to hold on to each other a little more. And the sense of, <coughs> I am family, I am important, I am needed, I am a part, uh, an active and integral part of what we are doing in our family life and our missional life. I think that is fostered in a smaller number of congregations where I need to be looking at the people. And if I just do a scan, I know who's not here. I, I think we have that sense in, the, in, the, in a smaller congregation. Yeah, one, one thing I would, I would ask that, I've, I've had um, friends who have Left, left our church over the years to go to like the, the big, great church around. And it's interesting to me that uh, as, as I see them, almost all of them after about a five-year period have quit going to that church. They might be active in that church's small group ministry still, like they might be going to whatever evening that they get together. But after a while, I think it starts to feel like the actual Sunday attendance doesn't matter. Because you can just watch the live stream at home. Oh. And what, after a while, it just, it just doesn't really matter whether I'm there or not. This amazing production happens, and it is amazing. Like it's yeah. light shows, fog machines, whatever it happens to be that is super effective. And um, people are very moved by it, and the teaching is generally really good. And for you know three years or so, it's really awesome and energizing. But after a while, it's, it's not that, that feeling. The actual attendance doesn't matter. And I think. A little bit of what you're saying is that actually showing up matters, and if you don't see somebody there, it, it makes a difference, and that definitely is a advantage. So, uh, just before this, I was talking to um, a nice elderly couple, and I and they were, you know, talking about, you know, which which class you get to go to, and um, I was like, "What are you thinking? Jonathan Storm is just down this down the way right there. You gotta go. He's amazing." 
Uh, I'm going to put my foot down. I think the best preacher right now in the Church of Christ, I'll just put that there. Uh, amongst other preachers, sorry if I insult anybody. But here's what I had to do. People not in this room. Oh, yeah, well, there's some disagreement. Okay, I like it. Even though Joshua Jackson just killed it. I don't know if anybody was there for that. But um, one thing I had to do was I had to tell him, like, just so you know, as good as he is a preacher, he is as quality of a person. I had to tell him that because John's gift is professional uh, preaching, right? And he's in front of 2,000, 1,000, 3,000. You know what John can't do that I had to do for him? He can't be as authentic in a, in a large crowd. The strength of a small community in a room like this, maybe even smaller, or in some of our congregations, we can foster authenticity to the, a degree that people are thirsty for in our sermons that you can't do in front of a thousand people. There's pros and cons of both. And, and that one, man, I, I, it's like, I, do, do you want to give that up just to speak in front of a thousand people? Because some of the sermons that I had, it was a collective sermon. It was, I was like, I was not prepared, but God was, and it was beautiful. And everybody just walked away. They're like, yeah, God taught us something, not taught. And I'm like, God, that's every sermon. But, uh, I mean, are you all with me on that, preachers? Like, yeah, I, I actually had, hadn't even thought about that as, a, as an advantage. It's just kind of a thing. Um, when I speak to my congregation, I do know exactly who I'm speaking to. And so the personality of our congregation, the application uh, of, of the word, uh, the reason why we're talking about this particular thing in the first place, it's all very personal to, to our context. So we're, we're, we're less conceptual and we are very, this is what our family needs, and this is what our family is going through, and this is where our family needs to grow. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's very advantageous. And I do get to be authentic. They, they know how crazy I am. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I will say, I was hearing some of Jim's stories on what he's doing in his church, and uh, I, I think he has a lot of examples of this that I would love to give and illustrate right now, but I'll save for tomorrow. So, a little teaser trick. Jim's on the panel tomorrow, so just be, be ready. <laughs> But I, I enjoy like uh, preaching and interactively, and uh, if I see someone sleeping, you know, I'll ask them a question, you know, and then <laughs> you don't fall asleep again. You can't do that in a big church. Something that I think I think helps helps that I, I've tried to do it at our church that helps illustrate that. All um, when I'm doing a sermon series, I'll basically just email several people. And say, here's what I'm talking about on this specific Sunday. Do you have an example that you could share? And we have a sending at the end of our service. And um, I just let the person just grab the mic and they come up and they share about like their, their reflection on what I've talked about, how it connects with their lives, kind of their own personal experience. And generally, it's far more profound than what I've shared. Like it's pretty pretty helpful to have um, someone from your church and. and at a lot of large churches, they'll use like the video testimonies, which are really fantastic. But to actually have like a, a live human being standing up there um, sharing something that they have connected with is always been significant uh, for us to kind of follow up on what you're saying. And more than that, pretty much everybody knows that person at least a little bit, mm -hmm. so it, that makes it even more meaningful. I think. Yeah. yeah. Anything else you guys would say are, are unique strengths? Can you pose a question from the audience? Sure, yeah. Okay. As long as it's uh, easy. <laughs> well, I just jotted down uh, some of the things that you were saying there, and uh, um, I'm, not trying, I'm not trying to be negative, just sure. the, the reality of being uh, 
leading a, a 50, size 50 congregation, but um, you think about the idea of being a light of the nations, you mentioned, and um, uh, a lot of times small churches are so um, homogenized, they can't be a light, they're not a light for the nations. Um, Countercultural, you mentioned that, a lot of times they posit themselves as counter to culture, you know. Like against, like fighting against, culture? Yeah. And then a family centered in Christ, they're family friendly, they're not friendly. <coughs> And I think uh, Rick Ashley and Chris Seidman uh, talked about that when they would do a greeting and their members were greeting <coughs> each other. You know, they weren't greeting people who were different. And then the idea that the haven and the community that you mentioned um, uh, again becomes closed. And uh, those are the things where a small group, now there may be a place for all of those that they would just exist in the in that closed mentality in that only friendly to each other but that doesn't really seem to fit the broad uh, definition of the purpose of the church and so the unfortunate thing and is the, the small congregation tends to drown in, in, in all of those kinds of things and then cannot spring spring out of that, you know, out of those closed mentalities and so forth. And, uh, um, and so uh, on, on a very clouded comment, you know, here, uh, I mean, say it, it, is, it is a certain reality that uh, when you're looking at um, either growth or you're looking at expansion, some of those internal dynamics uh, created by a small uh, entity become very counterproductive uh, you know as the uh, as a, a church in, in the world you know and uh, at least that's my experience and so I, I guess I as we think about those things is I want to be in a thought authentic I want to be a family a friendly congregation but we have people come into our assembly that are different and I'm, they're like afraid mm. afraid of those people mm. you know because they're they are different from them and so it, it's almost this built-in whether it's a social dynamic or whatever <coughs> that um, you know kind of keeps keeps you sort of trapped into that uh, uh, non-visionary uh, yeah how, how would you guys respond to that that challenge what, what are ways that you could uh, I, I think that, you know, within, within my lifetime, I know that I've attended congregations that were welcoming as long as you met the rules. You know, that there was a, they would welcome anybody in to a degree, but at some point, if you don't conform, uh, you know, kind of on some timetable, then you, they'd still let you in the building. <laughs> But you weren't really part of the group yet. And I think a small, I think one of the challenges a small church has is that people get really comfortable with the way things are and the way things have been. Uh, Glendale has made some big changes in the past three, four, five years. And uh, people have been uncomfortable with some of those changes, but they're 
their discomfort is based on their personal preference, not on anything biblical. And, and some people have left, you know, simply saying, I just don't like it. And, and I think there's room for that somewhere. I'm not exactly sure where that line is drawn. But we, in the past 10 or 15 years, I think we have kind of shifted as a congregation from rather than saying, come on in and do what we want you to do, and then we'll accept you. And we're more uh, uh, now where we say, come in, we'll accept you, and we want you to grow with us. Um, that's an important shift, I believe, and I think that's, that's a lot easier in a small church to do. Um, that's a huge challenge. I, you know, we're, we're facing that. We've talked about it, that we don't do it as well as we should. But I, you know, I think in a big, big church, people can just kind of drift in, drift back out, and they, they never really fully engage. So I don't know if that speaks to your question or not. But I'd like to hear from Jack Tom too. Um, one thing that uh, decades of ministry uh, has, has taught me is um, change is going to be difficult no matter what the change is uh, and no matter what the size is. Uh, if you try to get into patterns and routines in a small family of three, that change is going to be difficult. Um, as a church leader and as a child of God who is on mission for God's purposes, not our own, we have to be okay with leading our families into periods of uncomfort uncomfortabi uncomfortability. Discomfort. Discomfort. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the purpose of glorifying God. Um, I have encountered a number of people who are rooted and grounded in the church of their preference. And in leading them and in preaching to them and in teaching to them and in meeting and business planning and agenda planning, for change, um, we cannot look, and I hope this doesn't sound cold, we cannot look to protect their sensitivities and preferences when it's counterculture to what Christ is calling us to do. Um, one of the things that we're thinking about is uh, what have been the great accomplishments of our, of our smaller congregations over the past five years. And the real answer for for our congregation uh, was a lot of small things. We can point to some larger developments, but it was a lot of small things that all stemmed from a big decision from our leadership to stop leading from a perspective of fear. Mm -hmm. um, a great portion of our, of our, of our discussions and conversations uh, about change and about doing things you know, this way and that way great portion of the, of, the, of the conversation was, well, how was this person going to react to that? And who might have a negative response to that? How are we going to deal with <coughs> feedback? And we had to just get away from that conversation because after a while, we weren't talking about progressing anymore. We weren't talking about glorifying God anymore. We were talking <coughs> about making sure this person wasn't offended in a way that they're going to respond in, in a way that we thought we, we didn't want them to. We don't, we don't want them to leave, we don't want them to complain, we don't want them to start murmuring. And so our, our leadership was leading to protect what was there as opposed to being on God's mission to reach out to who's not there 
to welcome those that God is bringing <coughs> us. And we have to be okay with people being uncomfortable. And we have to be okay with people murmuring. And so we became very purpose-minded, right? This is who we are, but this is what our purpose is supposed to be. And we have to deal with whatever uncomfortability, I said it, uh, <laughs> whatever transitions, whatever change of perspective, we have to deal with that to be who God wants us to be. And when we started walking by faith instead of walking by fear, it just opened up doors for us. And yes, there is the person that's gonna say what they're gonna say, but you know what? That person is gonna say something whether you made the change or not. And we love everybody, we want everybody, but every individual member in the congregation has to decide whether they are going to be on God's plan or whether they're gonna to try to fight to hold on to their personal preferences. One, one way of saying that, I've heard it said, well, you, a lot of churches should just put on their sign, like, keeping the Smith family happy since 1970. <laughs> 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 if, that, if that's truly your mission, then just go ahead and, and put it out there. Um, I, I, I think what you're asking is, is really the heart of why small church work is difficult. I mean, it, it, it really is. And I, I would say there's no, uh, like, short-term, uh, easy, easy fix. And it does, it takes, it takes hard work and, it, and a commitment to trying to be more welcoming. I, I can just share from Glendale's history something that I think was really positive. When I, when I started in ministry there, I was around 60 people on a Sunday, and um, I can say this was a brilliant idea because it wasn't mine. Um, it was previous to me. They had started serving at the local homeless shelter in Glendale once a month. And when they started that ministry, that seemed like a big ask for a church of 60 people. You know, we're gonna have to do this. It was something they, they hadn't done before. And that, I think, has been a, a huge engine to us slowly growing, is that we have that every single month. And it's not that we're bragging about ourselves. It's just we have to say, hey, we need people to come. Who can bring beans? Who can do this? And now it's become a little more streamlined as, as we've done it and as we've grown. Then another, a few years ago, we had the opportunity to work with an organization called Family Promise, where uh, we open our, our building um, uh, one, four weeks out of the year to homeless families. Uh, and that was another one. It's like, ah, it's, it's a lot of volunteer hours. We need like a lot of people to help with us. Is, is there going to be enough? And so a question that I think I would, I would ask your church, and what we continue to ask ourselves in Glendale because we haven't arrived at any point, is what are we stretching ourselves out to do for God's mission? What is something that, wow, that sounds like it's going to be too much. That just sounds like it's going to be, we're going to need God to move amongst us. And that's often a question I think that small churches don't ask because it's, we're all kind of just circling the wagons and we're trying to survive. Um, and what would it look like for, for your church, anybody, any church? I mean, I think it's an important question for a church of any size to ask. But what's something that we feel like God is specifically calling us to do that is a unique thing that we have a passion for that we're going to need God's help to accomplish? And we collectively are going to commit to working on this and taking this risk and um, as a church leader that might mean you're doing it for the first six months or you're the one who's like really the, the motor behind it but uh, eventually for us we've seen that God has been faithful in bringing people to do those ministries and we're now kind of asking alright what's the next thing for us um, what's the next thing that God is calling us to step out uh, to do that we need to move forward on and if, if, if your congregation is small and, and homogenous, um, when someone different, however you, however you define different, 
Well, when somebody different shows up, we have to take the focus off of us. And we have to see what God is doing. Hmm. You know, for some reason, that person was led into your context. And so God might be opening something up for you. God might be stretching you. God might be challenging you. We, we all know the joke about patience. You know, before you pray to have more patience, be sure that's what you really want. Because if, if you really are going to be more patient, all of a sudden, situations and people are going to be thrown at you that require a lot of patience because uh, you, you developed it. And so when somebody different, quote unquote, comes to you, into your context, God is, is, is opening up something that he wants you to address, you know, as an individual, as a congregation. Uh, he, he might be, you know, that might be the person that's opening the door up for the rest of the community to start coming in if your congregation doesn't reflect your community. That, you know, we, we have to always keep in mind that, you know, that this is God's thing and he's doing it. He's using us as instruments. We have to allow ourselves to be used uh, the, the way God sees fit. And I would say to your to your answer, sir, uh, God's been really kind to me. He's put me in places where there was already um, a, a diverse group of people that were used to just loving anyone, anything that walked through that door. Um, uh, I've been really blessed this week by people connecting me to other people. Um, uh, as I'm searching for some of my questions, um, and people have become like profound resource. Honestly, to your question right now, I think um, I don't know everybody, but again, I've been doing this twice already today. Jim, I think uh, I think you should talk to him. I think he's a profound resource in this specific area um, on kind of moving a homogenous uh, community to look outside beyond themselves. Well, again, I didn't. Uh, oh, no, wasn't mean, mean to lower yeah. the expectations of a small church. It's just those are oh, those yeah. are the dynamics that you deal with, and uh, you know, and especially in an ultra small church. You know, mm -hmm. when it's you know. 50, well, that's a new test the mega church you're talking about. <laughs> you know, one, one another thing I would say that kind of tails on, on what Todd said. Um, I think sometimes small churches are a little timid to step out too much. You know, it's like we don't have the resources. Um, and, and two suggestions. One thing we've done is we've partnered whenever possible. Um, the family Promise, the Cincinnati Shelter, those are both things that, you know, a big church might just say, we're going to do that. You know, we're going to do it all in-house and take care of it. <clears throat> we've realized that we're not big enough, um, you know, to house four homeless families. So we partner with an organization that, that does a lot of the administrative work. We have a huge building, and we said that's a strength of ours. We got a second story with classrooms, and we convert those classrooms into little apartments. So, you know, we we can leverage what we have and help out that organization and, and do a lot. I think is a you know a very biblical work in, in housing families with, with small children. <clears throat> the other thing <clears throat> that that we've seen is that um, you know a few times when we've made a big ask of a small group of people, and they've always come through. Uh, what, about three years ago, four years ago, we had a pretty good sized debt and we thought, well, let's see how much of this debt we can retire. And uh, why don't we raise that Sunday? Uh, $60,000. Or $60,000 from a group that's around 120. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it blew me away. I was hoping, like, okay, I hope we at least close. <laughs> As a church leader, you, you talk about these things and you plan and you go, I don't want to just fail utterly. You know, that's going to be so dismal. Um, 
but we more than we, we exceeded our goal on that one Sunday and I think sometimes we uh, you know we tell God it's like no no we got this we got this and we're, we're going to be real careful about this we're not going to disappoint you God and God's like the you know the second grader going I got the answer I got the answer you know just go for it uh, so I, I would encourage you if you're in a small congregation to you know look at those those places you can stretch and step out on faith and and see if God doesn't surprise you. Well, I really appreciate that term, stretching, because I think, I mean, as I understand it, if it's not going to be your identity, you know, in terms of that, you know, you, you need to stretch. But you never know what's going to happen when you when you stretch. You know, you, it's not necessarily your, your goal. It's not necessarily to be 50 more next week or anything like that. So, but... When you're when you're stretching yourselves in the, in these different areas, light to the nations, community, all those kinds of things, then it seems like you're just kind of being a catalyst, you know, to um, uh, as a, as as a church. Your demographics, so many things, may cause you to still be small, you know, in, in that way. Uh, but if you're not living that stretching kind of life, then you're sort of settling for. It. Mm -hmm. I, I would encourage smaller churches because, I think I, I, again, I think one of the unique qualities is the ability to mobilize the majority of the congregation. Encur I would encourage smaller churches to be good neighbors. Um, wherever you are, there are people to the north, south, east, and west. You know, um, Be good neighbors. Be hospitable. Be welcoming. Be servants. Um, uh, if your monetary resources uh, aren't uh, allowing you to do certain things that you have a vision for, uh, like Jim mentioned, partner with other organizations. Our congregation has worked with Family Promise. Uh, matter of fact, uh, our, our church has a, a parsonage. Is that what you call the house? Okay, it has a parsonage. I don't live in it. Um, I wish I did. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Family Promise, we actually uh, let Family Promise use our parsonage as their offices and charge them like a dollar a month for rent. You know, you're trying to be good neighbors. And we were part of that program. We allowed people to, to, to live in our building. Uh, we partnered with our local homeless shelter. Um, so we, we prepare meals, we prepare lunches that people can take with them. We also go to their facility and, and cook. We've uh, partnered with our local uh, pregnancy center uh, to service people who are in situations they weren't expecting to be in. And so we're just trying to be good neighbors and serve people. Um, and that's worked a couple of ways because we know that when we are serving people, uh, we're showing love, we're showing compassion, we're showing that we care, we're showing concern. And through that uh, interaction, uh, we're able to develop relationships. And through the relationships, we're able to try to be influential for Jesus. We're able to share the message because we've shown, we've shown concern. Uh, on the other side, uh, we've noticed that everybody doesn't think church is a great place. You know, people have different experiences, different witnesses, different stereotypes, and uh, sometimes when we invite people to church and they say no, we think they're not interested in God. And the truth is, they're just not interested in church for whatever their concept is. Uh, we started inviting a lot of people to join us in these service opportunities. And there are a lot of people out there who have shown no interest in going to a church, but they've shown a lot of interest in serving and helping other people. And so they, they come alongside of us, neighbors and friends and coworkers, and they're preparing meals and they're 
cutting lawns and they're doing all these service opportunities or going to Children's Hunger Fund and places like that and they're getting in these service opportunities and then they're meeting more of our congregation and they're finding out, you know what, these are some nice people. I might go to one of their social events or one of their fellowship events and then that also, that becomes a doorway into fellowship where they will start then getting an interest and we have an opportunity to, again, to talk about our savior through these, through these relationships. Um, and so just, just be, be good neighbors. Um, I don't know what everybody's context is, but uh, I've been in and around a lot of different churches uh, helping them with and doing kind of different things. And I've noticed that a lot of congregations become an island in and of themselves in their communities. And they don't even know the house next door, you know, whether they're members or not. And when you are good neighbors, what you're going to find is when people are at your building and at your assemblies, you're going to have that mixture of different spiritually mature maturity levels. You're going to have members and non-members. And again, you're going to have to be okay with that uncomfortability. You know, when you walk out of your building and you see that guy who's not a member who's on the other side of the, the parking lot smoking, you, you, you can't go shoot him with a, a fire extinguisher because that's, <laughs> that's not our norm. You, you, you have to let that... You have to let the anti-norm be the norm until they uh, become the norm. Like Jim said, we can't uh, let people come into our buildings and then insist that they become a part of the club and become who we are before we decide we're going to welcome them. We have to welcome them, let them know we want them to be a part of what we have going on. And it's not even about us, it's about Jesus. We want to hopefully introduce my new friend to my old friend Jesus and make that connection. And then we start working on growing together. What, what would you guys say, just a final, final question for you to think about, you answered this a little bit, Jonathan, but what, what, is, what is an accomplishment of your work in, in a small church context of the last few years? What, would you say something that you're, you're proud that your church was able to accomplish? I know a millionaire and a homeless person that are friends, so that's cool. Like, that's not happening, that's not happening in D.C. Um, I mean, they eat together, they drive and they take care of, they, you know, do stuff like that. Like that's yeah, that, but I didn't do it though, so <laughs> yeah. uh, that's me. I uh, I found a quote the other day that I really like. A. W. Tozer says, "It is a far greater well, it is a far greater importance that we have better Christians than that we have more of them." Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, we we look at. Uh, all our efforts in, in congregations, and if we don't grow numerically, somehow we connect that to a failure of some sort. And I don't, you know, we, I think we have to set aside that, that, um, you know, we're there to make better people. We're there to introduce a savior to the people that come in our doors. And if it's only 50 of them, then, you know, that just may be what God's purpose is for, for us as a church. Um, and if we can help those people grow, and, and uh, you know, work toward attaining the, the mind of Christ, then I think that's a huge success. You know, and, and if, if it's only 50, then that's 50 more than you started with. So. Okay. Um, I, I alluded to this earlier, but our, our visioning and our goal setting, and again, our walking in faith has just been a major, major accomplishment for our entire leadership team which is permeated through our, our ministry and our lay leaders and permeated through our, our entire congregation. Um, 
I mean, Santa Clarita, if you're not familiar with Santa Clarita, Santa Clarita was a small town in terms of population that has boomed. Mm -hmm. Santa Clarita is now the third largest uh, city in LA County in terms of population. Uh, and we are, you know, 300,000 uh, plus. We're just building and building, building houses, houses, house, 300,000 plus. We're a congregation on the roll of 190 something. Our assemblies are maybe 150 to 180, depending on, on the Sunday. But it is our goal of our small 150, 100 to 80, is that we are going to reach every single person in our city and try to influence. Mm. You know, that, that's what we know we can reach. That's, we, have, we have control over that. We know we can reach. We're going to try to influence. And that's our 150, we're taking on 300,000. We got, we got five stars. We're going to get I'll just have mine in 30 seconds. Uh, the, the church in Chicago, really diverse. Like, I, I've been to, I haven't been to anyone else that uh, is more diverse. It's not a competition, but um, the problem was is, you know, we, we talk about diversity, talk about diversity. You can, I think you can get a diverse group of people sitting in the same direction and listening to someone, and that's seriously not that special. Um, it's more special if they actually love each other. If they... And you, like it's not you know how we do communion Pastor Trey I I I communion every Sunday deep but uh, if they don't they don't like do groceries with each other you know uh, so that so uh, that that's honestly what I was trying to do when when I was when I was uh, in Chicago just getting the PhDs and the schizophrenics to to do stuff together out, out after church and the millionaires and the and uh, the homeless people. And it's so beautiful, like that's cool. Then it makes the, the church uh, a lot more interesting on Sunday. Uh, so yeah, but God is good. And uh, yeah, we, the thing, thing that I, I would say, I'm, I'm proud of the um, Jim, Jim's son, Chris, um, and his wife, Crystal, do work in Nairobi, Kenya, um, one of the poorest slums in the world. And uh, they when they were first like starting, they were gonna go for just a year. And when we had that special contribution to get out of debt and got, we got 60,000, which was 30 more than we needed, we're like, hey, cool, we'll just mm. give it to them. And so that helped them to go for the first year that they went. And they came back after that year and they're like, oh, we wanna do four more. And can you keep doing 30,000 a year? And we said, um, I don't know, let's see. And, we, and as a church, we talked about it and thought, yeah, this is something that we are really passionate about. We wanna to continue to um, spread God's love to poor parts of the world. And so we've um, done that for three more years. And we have, I think there two more. Uh, we, have, we have two more to go. So um, we're, uh, again, just kind of continuing to kind of stretch, stretch ourselves. And it's been, been a, great, a great blessing for, for our church. Uh, we're pretty much out of time as far as things go. We have, we'll, let's go with one question. Yeah, we're, we're in a small congregation. I mean, small. Uh, 35 for Sunday might be good. Usually less. Yeah. But think about it as a small congregation. Like you, you know each other's mm -hmm. uh, what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know if somebody's sick. You know if somebody's having financial problems. You, yes. you, you understand. You know what people, other, everybody, you have a relationship with everybody. And they know they know who to contact if they have a problem. There's a there's a great a great blessing to that. And I, there's a guy a minister in our town who's a bit of a mentor of mine. His his church when he started was about thirty people and it's now three thousand or something. And he said, 
All, all my wife and I do is sit around and dream about how great it was when it was just 100. <laughs> uh, because we used to be able to like go have barbecues together, and he's like, just think of whatever the hardest thing you have to deal with in ministry, like what it is like you've ever had to deal with. I deal with that like every month, probably, because it's like something's happening, some big fires happening over here, since so, like, more people often <laughs> more problems. And we all want to, to have healthy growth, but I think one of the things that would be a gift for all of your congregations is to know, first of all, that you're, we're not unique in this struggle. Uh, across denominations, uh, people are struggling. Churches are, are generally getting, getting smaller. Uh, but there are really unique gifts that your churches can offer. And I just hope you can be, be encouraged in that because um, there is really significant work that can be done. I think that our world is more connected than ever, but more lonely than ever. Yeah. Uh, because the connection that we have isn't the real deep community that we're called to. And whatever size your church is, you all have an opportunity to uh, be part of helping to make it a more connected uh, community. So I hope you go back uh, encouraged with some thoughts and ideas from us, and I'd love to talk with you if you have any more questions up for me. I'm sure anybody on the panel would feel the same. We're not people with all the answers, but still just trying to follow God's lead in our context and our places. Uh, Todd, could you close us in prayer? Yeah, I want to pray for the churches, the Church of Christ, small churches, declining churches. Like I, I do think that the church is the most important institution in the entire world. Uh, Father, we uh, plead before you right now. We feel like uh, some of us feel like we're in exile um, as as our the church, the people of God, is dwindling in numbers. Father, but uh, as my brother said earlier, Lord, we're not necessarily asking for that just explosion of growth in numbers, but Father just an explosion of growth and depth of uh, passion and discipleship and following your will, Lord. Lord, help our churches be places that are on fire for you, that want to follow you, and may it just, uh, when we sing on Sundays and we carry it in our lives, I pray that it's just a beautiful fragrance that you just appreciate and love and are proud about. Lord, help us love you more and be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you guys for being here. Thank you. Thank you.